Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sunrise. Good to see you guys all here in this. We're just telling this on the, the worship team on this sunny winter morning. We don't get many of those in West Michigan, so praise God for the sun. Um, my name is Dan. I'm here. Happy to be here worshiping with you all today. Why don't you guys stand with us as we prepare to worship, as we prepare to sing to our God today. <clears throat> I thought we would just start out the day uh, by spending a minute in prayer. So I want you guys just close your eyes, rest, and let's, um, let's pray a little bit before we start. Oh God, we come today to meet with you. We come to hear you speak, so draw close to us, God. God many of us come this morning with expectant hearts to, to worship and adore you and to connect with you. Some of us come a bit weary, a bit burdened down this morning. So God, wherever we're at, meet us where we're at, Lord. I pray that we can all connect with you in a deep level this morning. Pray that the words that we sing will sink deep into our hearts and that they'll bless you, Father, that we sing them. We just rest right now in your presence. We pray that you would open our hearts, that our hearts would receive from you today, that as our ears are open, that we would hear you speak today. May it be in a song that we sing or words spoken in prayer or as Dan preaches later, God, I pray that we would hear your voice today and that we would just be able to relax our shoulders and rest in your presence today, Jesus. In your name, amen. Let's sing together.
as you can do, oh God of wonders, your power has no end. The things you've done before in greater measure, you will do again. There's no prison wall you can't break through, no mountain you can't move, no things are possible. There's no broken body you can raise, no soul that you can't save, all things are possible. The darkest night light it up, oh, you can light it up, oh, God of revival, let hope arise, death is overcome, and you already won, oh, God of revival, you rose in victory. You're seated forever on the throne. So why should my heart fear what you defeated? I will trust in you alone. Cause there's no prison wall you can break through, no mountain you can move. There's no broken body you can raise, no soul that you can save, all things are possible, for the darkest night, you can light it up, you can light it up, oh God of revival, let hope words over our families, over our church. Sing this, come awaken your people. Come awaken your people. Come awaken your city. Oh God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. Every stronghold will crumble. I hear the chains hit the ground. God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. Come awaken your people, come awaken this city. God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. Every stronghold will crumble. I hear the chains hit the ground. Oh, God of revival,
God, we give it up to you. The things that we've been holding on to, the strongholds in our lives, God, we lay them down before you. Break the chains that have been binding each one of us. We want to see you move, God. We want to be a part of it. Awaken us. Awaken this church and our city, God. We want to bring change. We want to bring hope to the, the broken and the weary, the widows and the orphans, the, the poor and the disenfranchised, those that feel like they have no home. God, open our hearts and our eyes to see them. And Lord, place a burden on our hearts to reach out and be your hands and feet. Yes, come, come awaken us, God. Bring revival. In Jesus' name. You guys can take a seat. Well, welcome once again. Um, I have a couple of announcements to bring to your attention today, but before I get into those things, welcome to all of you. Welcome to any of you who may be with us for the first time this morning. Um, if that is you, welcome. Uh, there are QR codes in the back of the chairs in front of you, and also if you guys are watching online, there is a, a link that will drop that will bring you to our announcement page. Um, and on that announcement page, if you're new, there's a little um, picture you can click on. If you're new, it'd be obvious that's the picture to click on. There's a little um, link it brings you to a page that you can answer a couple of questions. You can ask a couple of questions of us. We just want to get to know you, help you to feel welcome and at home here at Sunrise. Um, next, we have a partnership class coming up on the 27th. So if you've been coming to Sunrise for a little bit now and you kind of feel like this is your home, but you want to know a little bit more about Sunrise, what's the history of Sunrise, what does it mean to be a partner, that class is for you. Taking that class doesn't mean you become a partner right away. It's just the kind of the first step in the process. So next Sunday after church, back in the youth room, we'll have some tables set up, we'll have lunch provided. If you need childcare, that'll be provided as well. Um, if you have any questions about that, just... Ask me, myself, or Dan after the service, and we'll um, help you answer those questions. Um, otherwise, if you are interested and you want to sign up, um, again, you can click on that or scan that QR code, click on the link that'll bring you to our Facebook page, or our, sorry, our, our website, and that has the link on there to sign up, and um, we'll get you ready to go for next Sunday. 
Next, um, Julie has brought to attention that we need a little bit of extra help in the Sunrise Kids area. Some volunteers are needed. Um, we have roles for everyone, including youth. So if you're a youth person in the youth group and you want to get involved and serve in some way, maybe serve along with your parent in the youth group er- or the youth area, we would love to have you help. So um, there is a sign-up at the Connect table. You can write your name down. Also, you can email Julie at julie at sunrisemen.org, and she will get you connected and answer any questions you may have. If you're like, "Ah, that sounds a little bit stressful and crazy to me, she would love to answer any questions, help you feel like it's really not the big of a deal, and it's super fun to hang out with the kids back there. So um, that is it for me. So there's those two things, partnership class next week, and Sunrise Kids, damn. On to you, bud. Good morning, everybody. How's it going? Good. I'm wearing my favorite hoodie this morning. I don't know if you can you guys read it okay? Pluto. Never forget. 1930 to 2006. Yeah, okay. Some of you guys are getting it. For those of those in the younger crowd, uh, back in 1930, Pluto was designated as a planet. Um, which means it was given the greatest value it could ever be given. Um, And then in 2006, uh, sinful, wicked people came along and decided that it was no longer a planet. Uh, And so our children today who are learning the song about the planets only have, is it eight now? Planets instead of nine? Yes? Okay, good. I didn't count those prior to standing up here and saying that. Um, And so that breaks my heart. And so to help carry on the goodness of Pluto and its full value to all of us, I've purchased and am now wearing this hoodie in front of all of you. Um, welcome. My name is also Dan. Uh, Dan Dupuy is a, a great guy who brought up some really great announcements. I want to piggyback on to the announcement about helping out with children's ministries. Children's ministries is an important part of any church. And in the last few weeks, if you've been with us, if you haven't been with us, you'll know now our children's ministry person has stepped out of that role. And so Julie, who some of you know, who is our ministry assistant, has taken on some extra hours to help us recraft and improve even more our children's ministries. Here's what that means. We need you. We need your honest feedback as parents, as kids, about what your experience with children's ministries has been like. We also need you, if you are interested in helping out with kids, even if you feel like you're going to risk your life doing it, you might leave with Play-Doh in your hair. That's okay. To just take a step and find out more information about what it might look like to invest in that. We need people who are grandparents' ages. Some of you long to be with your grandkids and they are states away. You have adopted grandkids here in this building every Sunday and they would love to sit and play with you. Some of you miss your nieces and nephews and you wish you could play with them. You have adopted nieces and nephews here, and they would love to play with you. And some of you are like my kids, and you just don't want to be in this room listening to this guy on Sunday mornings. And that's okay, too. There is space for you to volunteer as well. But here's what you need to know. Those environments are extremely important to us, and we want them to be safe. So anyone who expresses interest in being back there goes through a process of having a conversation with our staff and goes through a background check. Okay, we do want you to know that. We are looking for help, but we're also not just looking for any Tom, Dick, or Harry. We're looking for good people who are willing to be back there and play with kids um, to help us serve these kids well. So, if you're interested in that, let us know. We'd love to help plug you in. 
Uh, my, again, my name is Dan. Like the other Dan said, we're glad that you're here this morning, whether you're here in this room or you're watching us online. Uh, we count it a privilege that you would join with us on Sunday mornings. Now, I, t- I told you about my hoodie, and I am wearing it for a reason. I think many of us in life look at certain things the way that I and those of us who really cherish Pluto look at Pluto. At one point, we had everything figured out, right? And it was perfect. And it worked for everybody. The planet song ended with P for Pluto. And now that's been ripped away. And our lives feel a little bit disoriented, at least for those of us who really care about the planets. I think the same is true for us in many ways when it comes not to planets per se, but to how we view God, how we view ourselves, and how we view this world. Last week, we introduced a new topic for us that we're covering for the next few weeks about the use and abuse of the Bible. Now, for some of you, that could feel like, yes, and for those of you, it might feel like, no. I'll pray in just a second, and if you need to go, you're welcome to do that. (laughs) Um, But I think this is an important conversation for us because part of our task here at Sunrise Ministries, the thing that we have put out in front of us as a goal of ours is to transform the world with God's grace and love. And we cannot do that if we are not transformed by God's grace and love. And the way we can be transformed by His grace and love is to fully understand who He is and what He is doing. And a big key part of how we do that is to understand and handle Scripture rightly. So that's our conversation that we're in right now. You couldn't have picked a better week to be with us. You couldn't have. It just, it would have been impossible to do. So... Thank you for being with us this morning. This is a book that we're using. Uh, It's called The Use and Abuse of the Bible. It is a brief history of biblical interpretation. You can buy it on Amazon if you want to. I would suggest that you don't buy it, unless you're a nerd like me. Um, If you are interested in this, go for it. If you are a person who is comfortable with leaving what you know and risking pursuing something that feels new to you, but is not new in any way, and actually brings you closer to Jesus, then I would suggest you check out this book. But, if you buy it or not, I'm not here to sell the book, I'm here to just help you know transparently that some of what we're talking about comes from this book. All right, so we're going to jump in here in a second, I'm going to pray, and for those of you who need to tap out, now's your time. God, thank you for this group of people, thank you for your love for us, that you are the God of revival, just like we sang. You bring life to the spaces where there is death, and you have done that in our lives over and over and over again. God, I know, you know, we know that some of us right now are in a space where we feel like we are revived. We are experiencing this life that you bring to us, and some of us are not quite there right now. And so, God, we know, we trust that you are with us. You are transforming our lives with your love and your grace, no matter our perspective on where you are, who you are, or what we're up to. So God, during this time, would you remind us of your love for us uh, so that we can be a people who are continually transformed by you so that we can transform the world around us. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so quick, nerdy flashback. For those of you who were here last week, uh, we talked a little bit about how to understand the Bible. There are some Hebrew-looking words up there. Just take the Hebrew letters, put the sounds, uh, tied those to English-looking letters, and you have Midrash Halakha and Midrash Haggadah. Now what you have there is Midrash was a group of writings that people who wanted to follow God well in the Jewish community 
would write down their notes on Scripture so that people could basically have, as they walked around, a study Bible, right? We have those, Ryrie or John MacArthur or whoever, Reformation Bible. You guys probably have seen or heard of those things. But there were two lenses through which those commentaries, those studies, were written. Midrash Halakha, which was set up to investigate or to uncover proper conduct in life. So some of those people who would write down notes would say, okay, we want to help our kids become good citizens. We want to help make sure that the people of God are living the right way, and so as we write our notes down, we'll write about that. Another group of people who did the investigation, who would write Midrash, would uh, write to uncover proper understanding of God's story. So this is a big, of a bigger perspective on life. If the first is to focus on the rules, the right way to live, the second is what is the bigger picture of life that all of us are characters in and are invited to live into as followers of God. Does that make sense? I hope. Okay, great. I don't hear any snoring, so that's a good start. Um, this morning, we're going to look at Mark chapter 12. Okay, if you want to follow along in, in your analog version of the Bible, you're welcome to do that. We have it on the screen. But we're going to look at a passage here that invites us into a conversation about how to use the Bible. And as we go along, I think it will become apparent to you that we have two groups of people. We have a group of people in this story who are committed to what Pluto has been, who would wear the hoodies that say, never forget. And then we have this person who suggests that maybe Pluto is not what we thought it was. I think along the way that will help all of us see what it is we've carried with us through life and maybe what things we should continue to carry with us and what things we should let go of. So our main characters here in Mark chapter 12 are chief priests and lawyers. These are people who were hired by the nation and by the church, by the temple, to figure out by looking at the Bible the right ways to live. So Israel was a theocracy, meaning that God was the one who was on the throne, much like some of the Middle Eastern states that we hear about. And so their job, these chief priests' jobs, were to look at Scripture, to look at Midrash, and figure out how and people should be living their lives. So if there was a conversation about, should I pay my taxes, you go to the chief lawyers. If you had to figure out whether or not it was okay for you to divorce your spouse, you had to get approval from the chief lawyers. You also had the priests. Priests, that makes sense. These are the people who were focused on doing kind of what I'm doing here today and what church staff members do in churches, presenting the story of God so that people would be able to know it and to love it and to live into it. These were two groups of people that were pivotal in the lives of those who followed God then and even now. So these People, a group of them, come to Jesus in order to challenge his spiritual authority. It's exactly the reason why we want people to show up in church, right? That happens all the time. This happened way back then. Uh, and so this exchange happens in front of a group of Jewish onlookers. So it's important for us to know because this is not just a conversation that's happening in a closed pastor's office. This is not a conversation that is happening where Jesus is standing up in front of thousands of people at some kind of revival telling them about who he is. This is a very specific scenario where we have people coming to Jesus 
in a setting somewhat like this, you want to figure out if he is actually who he says that he is. And not just to find out if he is, but also to put a little finger in his eyeball a little bit to tell him maybe he's not who he says he is. And so Mark chapter 12 is inviting us into a conversation that might look somewhat like this. People who are sitting around, there's a conversation that's happening in the little ecosystem that they've set up, but there are others who are around, some of them listening to what's going on, some of them who are not, kind of like what you do at Mr. Burger. You have your own conversation, but sometimes there's a little bit of a conversation going on in the other booth. And you hear that and you think, that's kind of interesting. This is a little bit of what's happening here. So in Mark chapter 12, Mark tells us this story. He says, Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. Who, who is he speaking to? Main characters, remember? Two, two groups of people who? Lawyers. Lawyers and chief priests. Well done. So he speaks to them in a parable. A parable is a story that dresses up reality in a new way so that we can see it and understand that story and life correctly. Here's the story. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it. He dug a pit for the wine press, and he built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. And at harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, and they beat him, and they sent him away empty-handed. Now, if you are a reader of Scripture, if you know much about the history of what leads up to this point in the story, you kind of know what's happening. But for the sake of us seeing this passage rightly, I'm not going to fill you in or even give you much more detail to help look at that. But Mark continues, and in this parable, Jesus says that then he sent another servant to them, and they struck this man on the head, and they treated him shamefully. And so he sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, and some of them they beat, and others they killed. And then he had only one left to send, a son, whom he loved, and he sent him last of all, saying, they're going to respect my son. But the tenants, <laughs> they said to one another, this is the heir. Let's kill him. These people's hearts are hardened against the owner of the property. And anything that has to do with the owner of this property, the people respond to not with gratefulness, not with let's appreciate what this person has done, but with the self-protective, let's eliminate any kind of perceived threat kind of stance. And so they decide, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him, and they killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And then Jesus kind of opens up his Bible a little bit to Isaiah, and he asks them, haven't you heard this scripture? The, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and is it marvelous in our eyes? Then the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they let him, they left him, and they went away. All right, so there's a lot that's happening there. Uh, many of us, if we grew up in church or Christian school, we've seen this passage of Scripture before, and even having walked through it, there's still so much there that it's hard to wrap our minds around it. My hope is that we can distill down what we need to to see what's happening here so we can walk away with something that Jesus is trying to teach the folks here in Mark chapter 12 that's helpful for us. So the context of the conversation, this is happening in the temple courts. It's not happening in a vineyard. 
So why in the world does Jesus talk about a vineyard or a field? That prompts a question for us, right? I mean, just beyond the very basic reality that people then would have known what vineyards looked like all the time because it was important to have grapes, to have olives, because these were incredibly important uh, produce for their country. But why would Jesus bring that up? There's got to be more to the story than to just bring up something that was important to these folks. Uh, The chief priests and the lawyers, they come to Jesus to challenge his spiritual authority in front of a Jewish crowd of onlookers. Okay, so this is in a church sanctuary or lobby, if you will, where anybody can hang out. They can have a cup of coffee, a cup of hot chocolate. They can stand around a table. They can have a conversation. This is the place where Jesus has this conversation with these folks. And he decides that uh, he's going to respond to their question about his authority by looking at the Bible. A pretty good place to look, right? So his response to these people, as they come to him to ask about his spiritual authority, is to look at Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. Now, that's basically what we just read. So let's kind of help frame this a little bit. What Jesus is doing is he's challenging the common interpretation of the Bible. So what we have right now is Jesus and these leaders are discussing the Bible together, all right? So in Mark chapter 12, let's say I'm Mark. I write down a story and I say, hey, all of you guys, come with me and let's watch Jesus have a conversation with these folks who are challenging who he is, okay? That's Mark chapter 12. But as we watch this conversation happen and we hear what's going on, Jesus says to the people who are around him, let's mentally go in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 5. So Jesus has a conversation with these people, anchoring it in the Bible. Mark may or may not have seen his story that he wrote down as part of the Bible. Mark was writing down a story 70 years after Jesus would have been alive. That's when the Gospels were written. And he's writing to a Roman group of people who want to know who Jesus is, this story. And he says, if we're going to understand Jesus rightly, I have a story from 70 years ago that I'm going to tell you. And in that story, Jesus looks at the Bible with people who wonder who he is. And if we want to know who Jesus is, this is an important story for us to look at too. So Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. This is the part of the Bible that they're looking at. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. This would have been very commonly known the Jews then. This is why Jesus, even though he's sitting in a temple court, begins to talk about a vineyard. This was a celebrated, known passage of scripture. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and he cleared it of stones. He planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it. He cut out a wine press as well. And then he looked for a crop of good grapes. But it yielded only bad fruit. The guy needed a muck field. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than what I've done for it? You know that the vineyard isn't growing what I wanted it to grow. Look at it. You tell me, what more could I have done for this vineyard to produce the grapes that needed to be there? When I looked for good grapes... 
Why did it yield only bad grapes? Now I'll tell you what I'm going to do to the vineyard. I will take away its hedge. I'll take away the fence around it and it'll be destroyed. I'll break down its wall. It will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there, and I will command the clouds not to rain on it. Wow. You get yourself a nice piece of real estate. You put all kinds of work into it to turn it into a profitable piece of land that will make great grapes and Welch's grape juice and probably a little bit of St. Julian's wine in this part of the country. It doesn't go the way that you plan, and your response is to tear down everything that you built and to let the thorns and the weeds take over everything and pray to God that it doesn't rain on that land anymore. What in the world? Like, it's a pretty angry person who would do that, right? Or someone with loads of money who can go buy another piece of property, and I have no idea what that's like, nor do any of us. The story continues in Isaiah chapter 5. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. Okay, wait a minute. There's a little bit of decoding that happens here in the Bible that they're looking at in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, that helps us understand what's happening. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines that he delighted in. So the people of Judah are the vines that should be showing up in this vineyard, the nation of Israel, but they're not showing up in healthy ways. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what the writer of Isaiah is saying. And he looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed. In other words, justice is something that should be showing up in a healthy vineyard of God by the people of God, but it wasn't showing up. And it disappointed, it frustrated, angered the owner of the vineyard. For righteousness he looked for, but he heard cries of distress. It is the design of God that his world would be a place where there is justice, where there is righteousness. But when it does not happen, God responds with, what in the world is going on? Have I not done everything that I could to make this land, these people show up in the world the way that they should? Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. Now, for the people who were around this table with Jesus as he's talking have heard this passage of Scripture before. They knew it as well as we know John 3.16. For those of you who have momentarily forgotten John 3.16, that's okay. But they would have looked at this story that Jesus wrote and thought, okay, yeah, you're talking about Pluto. You're talking about a planet. You're talking about something that we all agree on. They would have sat there and they would have thought, nice beard there. This is God's judgment against all of Israel who had become unfaithful to the Bible. Next. What Jesus says is, hold on a minute. No, no, no. This is God's judgment against the chief priests and the lawyers who would become unfaithful to the Bible. What? This becomes a problem. Because instead of God being upset with everybody who is trying to follow him, like people thought was being done in Isaiah, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The funnel is much smaller. And it's focused on you people who are sitting around this table with me right now having this wonderful conversation. See, what Jesus is saying is that what's happening in Isaiah chapter 5 is God's judgment against the chief priests and the lawyers who have become unfaithful to the Bible. That is the 
conduct that was outlined by God for God's people. Remember the two ways of looking at Scripture, how we live rightly, but then also the story that leads God's people to Him. What Jesus is introducing to this group of people is a new and threatening interpretation of the Bible. This is very difficult for the people who are there to listen to. This is the kind of conversation that would prompt emails. This is the kind of conversation that would cause people to want to get up and leave whether or not not they've taken care of their check at the table. This is the kind of conversation that would have effectively taken the tables of our spiritual lives, flipped them upside down, and said, what you've thought all along has been wrong. Now, Isaiah was written about 300 years before this conversation that Mark writes for us happened. So for 300 years, the people of God who have been following the chief priests, who have been following the lawyers, have believed that what Isaiah chapter 5 is saying is that Everyone who wants to follow God is at fault because no one is doing what it is God wants them to do. How many things in our lives have we held on to for 300 years, figuratively or literally, that we would willingly let go of in a conversation like this? How old is our country? Somebody say it. History teacher, high school student. 250-some years old. That's a pretty good answer. So let's take the Constitution. Whoa, easy there, Dan. Let's take the amendments. Whoa. Let's take court rulings from the Supreme Court. Whoa, those things have been set for a very long time, and our country runs the way that it does because of our interpretation of how those writings were given. Now, we are not a theocracy. I'm not suggesting that is the case for America at all. I bring up those documents for two reasons. One, they're really old. They're they're the oldest documents we have in our country. And we look at them through a lens with an interpretation that helps guide the way that we live and the story we tell ourselves about who America is in the world and who we are as part of America. Very similarly to that, Scripture, Isaiah, that we were just looking at, would have been functioning the exact same way for God's people. We have this history, we have this writing that has been given to us to tell us how to live, but also gives us the story of what it means to be Jewish and what it means to be following God. And for you, Jesus, for you, uneducated pastor, For you, person who's going to take my time in the lobby of the temple, to challenge any of that is no bueno. Beginning to feel a little bit what perhaps these people around the table were feeling? Imagine if the conversation is, no, 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 what you have thought has been true about who God is and who you are is wrong. Would you and I be willing to risk leaning in and listening to what Jesus says, which would require us to let go of what has been for the sake of drawing closer to who God is and who he's called us to be. This is what's happening here. So this is why the chief priests, the elders of the law, the elders looked for a way to arrest him 
because they knew he had spoken the parable against them and their power structure and their authority and their interpretation of the Bible. They wanted to kill him, but they were afraid of the crowd. So they left him and they went away. The people sitting at the table thought, he's talking about me. I am one of these people who have been communicating to the people of God that everything is wrong with all of the people of God, and he's going to come back and he's going to destroy all of us. But Jesus, what you're sitting here telling us is that the chief priests and the lawyers, the spiritual leaders, those who are trying to communicate to everybody who God is, these are the people who have a problem? And of course it's self-protection. It's selfishness that boils up in the hearts, in the minds, the desires, the plans of these people who are sitting with Jesus to the point where they plan to extinguish him and his teaching. They want to get him out of their church. They want to unfriend him on Facebook. They want to make sure that he is not going to become toxic to their children. But what they do not understand at this point is that the person they are challenging is the God of heaven who offers rescue. So Jesus' argument here in Isaiah chapter, or sorry, in Mark chapter 12, as he's looking at Isaiah chapter 5, is he's saying, all of you who have understood chapter, or Isaiah chapter 5 in this way, you're understanding the law of God that we should live rightly but you are misunderstanding the narrative. You're misunderstanding the bigger picture of who we are and who we've been called to be. Yes, it is true that we should be living rightly. You are right. We should be a people who are producing great grapes in a vineyard that is just beautiful. But what you're saying to people is that the only way that's going to happen is if... Now let's jump forward to today's context a little bit hyperbolically is if you give a certain amount of your money to the church or if you don't swear in front of these people or if you listen to this radio station and not those other ones or if you vote this way or if you make friends with these people but not with those people. If we all do those kinds of things, then we all together become this beautiful vineyard that God longs for us to be. That's not a bad thing for us to want to live rightly, but if we're so focused on those kinds of things to the point that we forget the overall narrative that, is, that God is creating in us and through us a people who produce good things for the sake of the world, then we've missed the boat. And what Jesus is saying to this group of people around the table there with him is you've missed the boat. What you've been telling people is that you have to live a certain way. And Jesus isn't saying throw that out the window, but he is saying there's more to life than that. Pause button on this conversation. Think about your kids. When your kids grow up, your grandkids grow up, your nieces and your nephews grow up, what do you want them to remember? the exact weight or height that they needed to be in order to not sit in a car seat or a booster seat? Do you want them to remember that they're supposed to wipe off their hands in the car after they're done eating McDonald's french fries before they touch anything? Do you want them to remember those rules? Or do you want them to remember the overall narrative of life that you are weaving into their souls, that they are loved no matter what? 
Do you want them to know that your desire for them is to grow up in a place where they can thrive, where they can know who God is, where they can become a beautiful, sustaining kind of person in this world that brings life and grace to the people around them? That is what you want your kids to remember. That is what you long for your grandkids, your nieces, and your nephews to know and to live into well. And this is the kind of thing that Jesus is saying to his church around this table to these leaders. Leaders, parents, grandparents, small group leaders, chief priests, lawyers. Don't focus so much on wiping your hands before you touch something. Don't focus so much on the political interests of your time. Focus more on the movement and the narrative and the love of God. The misunderstanding of the narrative is what leads to abuse of the Bible. When we forget that it is our call to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, and instead of that, we focus on what language can be used or what words are worse than others or what behaviors are worse than others, then we chop ourselves off at the knees. And we focus on sending emails or leaving tables where there are good conversations happening instead of having relationships with each other to help cultivate a vineyard that brings from it the things that God wants As we go on, Jesus is saying, let me summarize this one more time, that the chief priests and the lawyers said to one another, not the, okay, let me back up. This is looking here at Isaiah chapter 5 here, okay? Jesus is taking that passage of scripture and he is saying to those who are right there, to the chief priests and lawyers who are with them, that they are the ones who said to one another, this is the heir, come let's kill him. What we have right here in the person of Jesus is the heir of the God of heaven who has put this vineyard together. And it's been us chief priests and us lawyers who want to maintain our way of life, our privilege, our understanding of who God is, our own authority. It is we who have said, let's kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and they killed him. And they threw him out of the spiritual people of God. They said, no, 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 people who want to follow God, don't listen to Jesus. He's going to be nailed to a tree. Listen to us instead. And those of us who know the story of Scripture, who knows what happens after this happens, know that this is exactly what the people who are trying to lead God's people toward him do. They kill Jesus. They want all of the power and the authority to themselves. So then what will God do? He'll come, and this is, I believe, a bit hyperbolic here. I don't think this is actually what God is going to do. He will come, and he will effectively kill. He will show the people of God that it is the chief priests and the lawyers who aren't actually bringing people to God. And he's going to give the spiritual people of God to another. To who? To Jesus. Can you see now how this is a conversation about the spiritual authority that Jesus does or doesn't have? What Jesus is saying is that all of the study Bibles that you have, all of the small group materials that you've looked at, all of the Christian schools that you went to and the curriculum that is there, those are all okay. But what trumps that 
is me. The stone that the chief priests and the lawyers rejected has become the one around whom God's people will be built. This is what Jesus is saying in Mark chapter 12 if we take a little bit of help of what's happened in the Old Testament. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus says, look. Many of us look at who Jesus is, and we think he's a really great guy who's offered some really good things. And his teachings are helpful. But there's also this really big website with all kinds of commentaries called Bible Gateway. And there's the Gospel Coalition. And there's name any website that you want where you can log in and find out what the chief priests and the lawyers of our day today have to say about God. And they say so much that seems so right. But if Jesus were to sit at a table with those folks, he would say to them, what you have to say is okay, but I trump all of it. Question for us to consider. Maybe fast forward here a little bit. Is it better to leave unchallenged what has been, everything that we have learned from our Christian schools, from our churches, from our websites of choice, from our blogs, is it better to leave those things unchallenged and to risk finding out that we are wrong? Or is it better to challenge what has been by taking the time to understand who Jesus is and what he is saying, not what other people are saying that he said, and to find out that our seeking leads us closer to Jesus? It's a whole lot easier for us to just take the whole kit and caboodle of everything that we have been taught and to say what the chief priests and the lawyers of our time have said is exactly right and I'm going to hold tightly onto that and any challenge to that is going to get kicked out of the vineyard and it's going to get killed. But the risk we run doing that is the same risk that the chief priests and the lawyers were running and that Jesus pointed out to them. You're holding on to the wrong things and you think you're kicking out something that's wrong but you're actually kicking out the rescuer of heaven. The way we interact with Scripture is incredibly important. These kinds of conversations can feel a little bit boring, like you're eating saltines and you don't have a drink of water. But I think it's important for us to know that our job is to humbly and boldly consider how we use and abuse Scripture. Do we take the time to sit at a table with Jesus to allow him to put a finger in our eye and say, no, the way you view that is wrong? Or do we kick him off to the side because it's not comfortable? If you read the rest of Isaiah chapter 5, what you have there is a description of Jesus taking away all of the privilege, all of the power of the people who have had the power and the privilege in leading the spiritual people of God. The chief priests and the lawyers knew that's what happened in the rest of Isaiah chapter 5. They didn't want all that stuff taken away from them. They didn't want to lose their jobs in the seminaries or in the pastorate. They didn't want to lose their small group who understood that what they were teaching wasn't quite right. They wanted to maintain their way of life. What was difficult for them was to find that God is the blessing to the world, not themselves, not their view of things, 
And what they and what we need to realize there on the bottom there that's not emboldened is that Jesus' take on the Bible trumps our own take on the Bible. This should be blazingly obvious to all of us, right? Our doctor's take on our x-rays trumps our own take on our x-rays. We don't challenge that. But we do, for some reason, want to challenge the idea that what Jesus says about the Bible trumps what we think we know about the Bible. Final challenge, it's the same thing written differently, is to use and not abuse Scripture so that the world, in the language that we use here at Sunrise, it's transformed through God's grace and His love. So small group leaders, parents, teachers, pastors, whoever you are, it's fine to go and look at all the blogs and take everything that we have been taught over the years and to try to figure out who God is doing that. But I would much rather, and I think we would much rather, take the time to sit with Jesus and to hear from Him. Not many of us would say, it is a really good idea for you to get to know your friends, your colleagues, your grandkids, if you just go and look at all of the pictures that other people have taken about them, all the things that other people have put on Facebook about them. It'd be a really good idea for you to really know who your spouse is if you ask for their phone and you just read through all of their texts and you don't talk with them and you read their emails and you go and you check out some of their references. If you do all those things, then you're really going to know who these people are. That's just ridiculous. You have to sit with the person you're trying to know and love in order to know and love them. And when we take the time to do that, we understand the story of God's love for us. That's what Jesus is saying here in Mark chapter 12. So my prayer, our hope here at Sunrise, is that we would be a people who take the time to know what Scripture is actually saying when it's not, that we would not abuse it so that it protects our own privilege, our own comfort, our own safety, our sense of orientation, that Pluto actually is a planet, that we would be willing to say, you know what, maybe what I have thought has been true about Jesus and about what the church has taught me isn't quite right. Now, for some of you, as you hear that, you think of folks who have completely drop-kicked faith out of their lives, and that scares you a little bit. There is a spectrum, okay? I'm not suggesting that we take everything we have been taught and drop-kick it to the moon. I am suggesting that maybe it is good for us, like Jesus did with these people around the table, to look at Scripture through Jesus' lens so that we can be transformed by God's love and grace and bring that to the people around us. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for boldly having conversations that many of us feel very uncomfortable with, either because they can feel boring or because they're a challenge to us. We, as followers of yours, want to be a people who follow you and not a caricature of you. So as we have these conversations, as we try to figure out well who you are, would you open our eyes correctly so that we see you as the God of heaven, not our understanding of who you are as the God of heaven? Would you help us to sing songs about your love and of your grace, not of our own self-righteousness or our own understandings of your grace?
At the end of our service, each week, we take time to respond. Uh, you can respond by giving of money if you want to. You can respond by giving of singing. You can respond by giving of your time and energy to talk with the people who are around you. All of those things are incredibly important. When we do these kinds of things, when we give by singing, when we give by talking with other people, when we give by financially comp- contributing to the needs of the church and the community, we are cultivating a vineyard in which beautiful, tasty grapes are grown that sustain not only us, but the world around us. So as we sing, respond how it is you need to, whether that's internally or externally, as we sing the song. Son of God, in all his innocence, here walking in the dirt with you and me. He knows what living is, he is acquainted with a grief, a man of sorrow, son of suffering. Oh, blood and tears. How can it be that there's a God who weeps, there's a God who bleeds? Oh, praise the one who would reach for me. Hallelujah to the Son of Suffering. Let's stand together. distant and removed, but you chased us down in merciful pursuit. To the sinner you were graced, and the broken you embraced, and in the end the proof is in yours. Yes, in the end the proof is in yours. God who weeps, there's a God who bleeds. Oh, praise the one who would reach for me. Hallelujah to the Son of Suffering. It's hallelujah. cross my freedom your stripes my healing all praise king jesus glory to god in heaven your blood still speaking your love still reaching all praise king jesus 
Glory to God in heaven, your cross is my freedom, your stripes, my healing, all praise, King Jesus. Glory to God in heaven, your blood still speaking, your love still reaching, all praise, King Jesus. Glory to God forever. Glory to God forever. Yes, glory to God forever. Glory to God
Glory to God forever. Not our understanding of who God is, not what Facebook says, not what our friends say, but glory to God for who he is. He was the one who was kicked from the vineyard. He was killed by people who wanted to protect themselves. And yet Isaiah says this, that when we do what we just saying, when we identify with this one who was killed, who was suffering because of what the world thought of who he was, this is what happens in Isaiah chapter 5. The Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice, by his justice. And the holy God will be proved holy by his righteous acts, not what people say about him, but by his own righteous acts. And then sheep, we will graze as in our own pastures. We will find a home in him, and lambs will feed among the ruins of the rich. Those who have told us who God is and have been incorrect about it will have to answer for that. But in the midst of that, we still have full and direct access to the God of heaven who brings with him a life-transforming love and grace that sustains us and the world around us. May we be a people who focus on him and his love and his grace. Sunrise, we love you. Have a great week.